Some people would call us naive or simplistic. But the answer to all the problems is Jesus. He saved my life. He set me free. He washed away all my sins with his blood. I should be dead. But I'm alive. And I live to serve him. And so we all do our part, whatever it is in the church, wherever we're called to be, to be able to get that message out to people that it's not a program that will save you. It's not a process. It's a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he died on a cross for your sins, all of them, past, present, future, and He rose again from the dead. And all he asked today is that you would believe in him and receive him as the Lord and Savior of your life. You see, that's how we're saved. We're saved by faith in him. And we want to get the message out because there are kids that are addicted to to drugs and they're caught up in porn. And, you know, there are marriages that are crumbling and families that are being disintegrated and people that are sliding into hell as we speak and people that are living hell on earth. And we, a lot of times, you know, we sit back and in all reality, we don't do a whole lot. We, we don't do anything. And so, you know, here we are again, just reiterating that simple message that, and I just, I don't know, you know, maybe all of you here are Christians, maybe all of you here are are right with God, but if there is anyone here who's not and who's dying inside because of that, I want you to know that Jesus Christ loves you and that he is here to rescue you. And as we go through today's study, you're going to see the, the, the whole message and really the messenger that would point to Jesus and how it all comes together is just really beautiful. And then woven within all these verses here are so many wonderful lessons for us to learn. I thank God for the Bible because the Bible is the truth. It's a living word that when it gets planted in our hearts, it does stuff. You know, it's a working word that changes our life. And so that's why we study it. And today we begin in Mark 6 and verse 14 where it says, Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, It is Elijah. And others said, It is the prophet, or just like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, This is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. And so as Jesus' popularity grew, uh, so did the opinions as far as who he was. And so first thing we look at today is the identity of Christ. 
You know, Herod, we read there in verse 14, King Herod, when he heard of him, he thought that Jesus was John the Baptist. And the reason for that is because he was pretty much haunted by the fact that he had killed John the Baptist. And so he was, you know, kind of spooked over that whole thing, you know? This Jesus who's doing these works, it's none other than John the Baptist, you know, some movie, you know, has some type of script like that where they come back from the dead and they come to haunt him, you know? And, and it's, it's interesting when you read this story right here, of course, we know it's not true. Herod was way off. As a matter of fact, something interesting, the very reason he thought that Jesus was John the Baptist was because of the wonders that Jesus was doing. But according to the scriptures in John chapter 10, verse 41, John didn't do any wonders. He performed no signs or miracles. You know, John's message was a miracle, but he didn't go around doing miracles. And so Herod was way off in thinking that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead, especially in thinking it was because of the works that Jesus was doing. You see, John the Baptist had a divine message, but he didn't do the divine works and miracles like Jesus did. You know, according to Luke 23, verse 8, it's interesting, Herod heard a lot of things about Jesus and his miracles, and he wanted to see him perform. But later on, Jesus didn't speak a word to him. One other thing, and I think it's important for us to know this, just in case you're here and you believe in reincarnation. You know, some of the people out there do, uh, Buddhists, Hindus, some of the New Agers, they believe that, you know, you can die once and then come back in another life form. You know, sometimes you hear people talking like, oh, in my previous life, you know, I was this. And, you know, that, that's not scriptural, you guys. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9, verse 27, it is appointed for men once to die. It's crazy. Some of the beliefs that are out there, they, they, I was reading one about how they believe you have to be born a hundred times in order to experience everything that life has to offer, men, women, rich, poor, all that kind of stuff, you know? And when you start listening, you're like, hey, man, that sounds a little appealing. But then when you read the Bible, you realize that that's not the way it works, you guys. One life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. One life, one day when we die, the Bible says we have an appointment with death and then the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. And so some thought that Jesus was John the Baptist. Others thought he was Elijah. Notice there in verse 15, others said it is Elijah. Now, the Old Testament does prophesy that Elijah would return one day, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, and it's kind of interesting because John the Baptist did come in the same passion and zeal and spiritual anointing of Elijah. But John wasn't Elijah, neither was Jesus Elijah. And we know, according to the scriptures, when you fast forward to Revelation chapter 11, it's not until then that Elijah returns. And so, you know, they're saying, well, Jesus is John the Baptist, Jesus Elijah, neither of those are true. But the third one is interesting. Look what they said in verse 15. It says, and others said, it is the prophet. How many of you here in, in your Bible, the word prophet is capitalized? Just out of curiosity. See, and this is, this is special here. This is the prophet spoken of in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18. 
You know, there were those who believed this, and they were actually right about this. This is interesting. He was the fulfillment of that prophecy. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, and 19, where God said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. So he's speaking to Moses, and he's saying, Moses, I'm going to raise up for them a prophet like you from among them. He's going to be Jewish, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. In other words, you know, you're in big trouble. So the Bible does speak about the prophet that would come. All Israel knew about this prophecy regarding that one prophet like Moses who would come one day. And, and the reason he was like Moses is because what did Moses do when he came? I mean, a lot of different things. You know, one thing he did was he established a new covenant, right? Moses established the law, right? Jesus also established another covenant. Moses old, Jesus new. Something else that's interesting, and we can probably go on, you know, with so many different reasons why they're, they're similar, but here's the thing, okay? Moses set the people free, and so does Jesus. Amen? Moses set them free physically. They were slaves in Egypt. They were in bondage in Egypt. Moses came in. God used him. Ten plagues. Next thing you know, the sea is divided, and the people are free. That's what Jesus does with us, you guys. You know, I, we were, I was in bondage to sin, and I was headed to hell, and there was no hope for me. But Jesus Christ, like Moses, came into my life, and he set me free. You see, that's what he does. We're no longer under the dominion of sin. It doesn't have power over us. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And so this prophecy, people thinking it was the prophet, they were actually right about that. It's interesting, we read the contrast and comparison in John chapter 1, verse 17. The Bible says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you guys know what grace is? If you don't, man, I pray that you, yet you would. You know, grace is God's reward at Christ's expense. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is that he loves you no matter who you are. He loves you, not in light of you, but in spite of you. And that his son died for you, and when you place your faith in Christ, then you are seen in God's eyes in a favorable sight. You're free, you're forgiven, and one day you'll go to heaven. Not because of what you do or how you live, but because of what Jesus did and how he died and then lived. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I still mess up. You know, I, every once in a while I get mad at my dog. I'm serious, man. I mean, different things happen. And I get convicted. I'm like, man, he's such a good little dog. And here I am getting mad at him. And he never holds a grudge. You know how dogs are. He's so cool. No, I'm, I, do, I do much worse things. You can talk to my wife or my kids or, or my God. But I never doubt my salvation. Because I know in whom I have believed. I know what Jesus has done for me. You see, that's how we live life as a Christian. 
And Jesus was raised up as a prophet like Moses because he gave a new covenant that is so wonderful. As they hear about Jesus and all these different views about him, you know, some said he was John the Baptist, some said he was Elijah, some said he was the prophet. Others said he was one of the prophets. Notice there in verse 15, others said he is like one of the prophets. And I know I've said this to you guys so many times, so forgive me for being repetitive, but Jesus is not a random rabbi. He's not a passing prophet. He's not just some typical teacher. There is no one like Jesus. He's not just one of the prophets, right? You know, it's interesting. According to Islam, there are 124,000 prophets. They call them Nabi. And out of those 124,000 prophets, they have 313 messengers. They're called Rasul. And then out of those 313 messengers, uh, they say in Islam that you only really need to know 25 of them. They're called teachers. And Jesus is just clumped and lumped together with all those typical teachers. No. We need to know that he's not just another passing prophet. And our, our destiny really hinges on that important question. You know, if, if you would, maybe mark your Bibles here and go back to, to Matthew chapter 16. You know, it's been a long time since I first came to, to church. I remember back in 1989, I was 23 years old. I was all messed up, you know. And I didn't really know what, what this was all about. And then I discovered that this whole thing is about what we're going to talk about right here. In Matthew 16, it says in verse 13 that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? You see, that's the most important question. There are a lot of rumors circulating out there. There's a lot of various opinions in the world that we live in, you know, and we can't change that. That'll probably never end until everyone's dead, right? But until then, we have all these different opinions. And at the end of the day, you, you really can't worry about what your mom or dad says or what your brother or sister or compa or friend or cousin or daughter or son. That at the end of the day, it's a very personal question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And it's so cool what Peter said. It's beautiful. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then the Lord said, boom, you're, you're right, Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, because that's a perfect answer. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament, over 300 prophecies saying that he would come, the anointed one, the anointed prophet and priest and king, the one who would come and save us and set us free. He said, you're the son of the living God. And what Jesus said is, Peter, you know what you've done? Man, this profession of faith, you are Peter, and upon this rock, speaking of his profession of faith, what he had just said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
And it's so cool to know that the simple message of Jesus is the message of salvation. It's what it's all about. This whole thing about who do you say he is, and then once you realize who he is, you give your life to him, that's what sets us free. But you got to make that choice. You know, looking at the Lord and some wondering who he really is, you know, because he came in such a humble fashion. I think a lot of times people don't realize the glory of the one that came. You know, Soren Kierkegaard, he's a, a Danish theologian, and he told a story about a certain kingdom where there was a handsome prince searching for a woman to be his wife and to become the queen of the land. So one day, while running an errand for his father, he passed through a poor village, and as he glanced out the window of his carriage, his eyes fell on a beautiful peasant maiden. During ensuing days, he would often pass by the young lady, and soon he fell in love with her by sight. But he had a problem. He said, how could I seek her hand? He could command her to marry him, but the prince wanted someone who would marry him out of love, not coercion. He could show up at her door in his splendid uniform and in a gold carriage drawn by six horses and attendants in tow and bear a chest of jewels and gold coins. But then how would he know if she really loved him or if she was just in awe or overwhelmed with his splendor? So finally, he came up with a solution. And what he did was he took off his royal robes and, and he put on common dress and he moved into the village and he got to know her without revealing his full glory to her. And as he lived among the people, the prince and the maiden, they became friends and they shared each other's interests and they talked about their concerns. And, and little by little, the young lady grew to love him for who he was. And it was all made possible because he loved her first. See, and that's what, what Jesus has done. Let me tell you something. He is the king. And he came veiling his majesty and looking for a bride, wondering if we will love him. See, a lot of people, well, he's John the Baptist, he's Elijah, he's Jeremiah, he's just one of the prophets. We got to know who he is because at the end of the day, it's not going to be really a sin issue. It will be a son issue. Who do you say that, that Jesus is. Which brings us back to Mark, because that's what John the Baptist was all about. You know, He would point to him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he would just point people to Jesus. If you go back to Mark, we see this whole story about John, and there's so much here to inspire us as Christians and to instruct us as well. Here in Mark chapter 6, we read next in verse 17. This is, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. 
But then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want, I will give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And so immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. You know, and John the Baptist, how could he die like this? And there's so much here for us to learn from the forerunner of Jesus Christ, You know, John the Baptist, I tell you what, the Lord was pretty impressed by this guy. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Think about what he just said. I mean, amazing. Now, it might be because of his ministry, because he was the the predecessor, he was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. But at the same time, if John didn't have a heart, if he wasn't blessed and impressed by John, he would have never said that about him with the greatest born of a woman up to this point. And, you know, when you look at him, what we see, a few things here I think that we can learn from, because I tell you what, I want to learn about the guy that Jesus said was the greatest. And so, number one, first thing we learn about John is that he was bound He was bound. It says that in verse 17, For Herod himself has sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison. How many of you guys here have done time? No, I'm just joking. I won't ask you guys. (laughs) I remember when I was just a kid, I broke into a school, and, uh, you know, I've done a few things here and there, and little things, you know, a little bit of jail time. You know, those of you guys who have done uh, prison time, man, you're in good company, actually, man. John the Baptist, uh, we know Joseph in the Old Testament, Jeremiah was put in a pit. Um, Later, Paul the Apostle would be arrested frequently. As a matter of fact, all the apostles were in prison at one time or another. We know as we look throughout church history, there's Agrippa guys. I think of John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison or maybe someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who during the Nazi days, he made a stand as a Lutheran uh, pastor And, you know, he spoke out against Hitler. And as a result of that, he was arrested. And so one day, one of his fellow pastors went to visit him in prison. And this guy said to Bonhoeffer, he said, what are you doing in there? To which Bonhoeffer said, what are you doing out there? (laughs) You know, when you are a man of God and you're going to live, sometimes we find ourselves in societies that are anti-Christ. We might find ourselves in that situation one day, which is part of the reason I bring it up, you know, because there may come a day, and you guys need to be ready. I'm an old fogey, some of you guys are younger, but you know, times are changing really rapidly. 
And there may come a day where you have to choose between God and government. You know, for the most part, the Bible says in Romans chapter 13 that we're to submit to our government because those authorities have been established by him and he doesn't bear the sword in vain, right? But when there's a conflict between God's commands and the commands of government, it's then that we must choose God. Uh, Peter taught us that in Acts 5 verse 29. He said, uh, and all the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men because they were telling him, hey, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And so for us, maybe one day we'll be there. You know, It may lead to jail, to us being bound. And I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but just in case you didn't, because you guys know in one sense, we in America, we kind of live in a cul-de-sac. We kind of do. We live in this little comfort zone and we don't really know what's going on out there. There are 100 million Christians that are being persecuted today. Uh, out of all the countries, the one that is the greatest offender is North Korea. And in North Korea alone, there are somewhere between 50 and 70,000 Christians that are in detention camps, otherwise known as prisons. So these kind of things, they're very relevant. And unless we get right with God, he will judge us in such a way. So, you know, John, we, we learn that from him. It can happen to, to really good people. But the second thing, and this is the reason why he was bound, is because he was bold. John was bold. He saw the king and he said, hey, Herod, you're not supposed to be married to her. She's your brother's wife. You know, and think about that, how, how awful that is. Imagine going over your brother's house and you see his wife and, you know, she's fine, she's pretty or whatever, and you're like, hey, I think I'm going to take her for myself. And so you steal her, you peel her away from your brother, and you bring her into your palace and you think everything's fine. Nobody's going to tell me anything because I'm the king. Oh, you're wrong, Mr. King. There is another guy, he's not a politician, he's a prophet, his name is John the Baptist, and he's going to get in your face. Because he is a man of God. You see, and we need to glean from these things, you guys. We might be bound, but may it never stop us from being bold. Even though it may lead to people not liking us, or maybe even one day hating us, or even arresting us. You know, Jesus predicted that his followers would be arrested in Mark 13, verse 11. He also predicted that they would be hated. In John 15, 19, he said, If you were of the world, the world would love its own, yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and they obviously were on the same page as the world, and he says, You guys don't testify of it that its works are evil, but I do. That's why they hate me. He said that in John chapter 7, verse 7. And so here's the thing, you know, and I know we don't want to step on anybody's toes and we want everybody to like us and we want to be politically correct. But if you have a heart to just be politically correct, then you don't have the courage of Jesus Christ. You don't have the courage of John the Baptist. You know, we need to tell the truth and speak it in love. So when you testify of the truth that sin is sin, that abortion is is murder, and if you're here and maybe you had an abortion, I don't say that to condemn you, but I say that to inform you, and from this day forward, may we call it what it is. 
You know that when a husband sleeps with someone else's wife or those types of things take place, that it's not an affair, that's too soft. It's, it's adultery, right? That drug use is sorcery. Well, I have a marijuana card. Yeah, I know you have a marijuana card. It's sorcery. You're opening doors to demons, right? That covetousness is idolatry. That you tell your friends, and I know they don't like to hear it, that homosexuality is an abomination in the sight of God. You, you say something like that, and they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you for that. And the day will come, mark my words, if we stay on the road that we are on, that they will shut down churches because we preach the truth. You know, Hillary Clinton, she made a statement the other day. She was in an LGBT fundraiser in New York. And, you know, her statement, it just represents the world that we live in so clearly against the commands of Christ. And she essentially labeled conservative Christians as being homophobic and Islamophobic. And, and, and you know, you, you wonder why. why. Why do they have this mentality of us. Uh, we're not afraid of Muslims. We are afraid of hell. <laughs> you know, we don't want people to perish. And that's why we tell the truth to anyone who rejects Jesus Christ. You know, we don't camp out on homosexuality. It's not like that's our, you know, our hobby horse. It, when it comes up, we'll speak on it. Because sin will, will prevent anyone from going to hell. What you got to do is you got to repent of that sin and trust in Christ. That's what the Bible says. And then he forgives you and he sets you free from all those things. But to them, what ends up happening is our love is hate and their hate for God ends up being defined as love. So, you know, uh, for us as Christians, we kind of need to know that this is something that we're going to face I pray that you wouldn't back down. John the Baptist, uh, he wasn't uh, a fearful man. He was bold, and therefore he was bound. He was a prophet, not a politician. And for us, I pray that we would have the same heart. He said to his king, the Herodias and Herod, you guys, it's wrong for you to be together. It's not lawful according to the scriptures, Leviticus 18, 16, and Leviticus 20, verse 21. And so as a result of that, Herodias wanted to kill him, right? And so what ends up happening is uh, John uh, is there speaking to Herod, and Herod's listening to him, and it just it's kind of funny the way this whole thing works out. But we need to make sure that we maintain that, that boldness. God, help us to never lose it. Kind of like when we first believed. I don't know how you guys were when you first got saved. Some of you here, um, you were probably more bold than you are now. C.H. Spurgeon said the church should be like a maternity ward. Have you guys ever been to a maternity ward? What do you hear there? You usually hear crying babies, Right? And what we see is oftentimes those new believers are the ones that cry out uh, with boldness. There's an interesting parallel in church history to John the Baptist. He's a guy named Hugh Latimer. And he lived, he was a pastor, a priest. He lived in the days of Henry, King Henry VIII. You guys know who King Henry VIII is? 
That guy was weird, huh? He was weird. He was kind of like this guy, Herod, right here. He had uh, many wives. I think he had six wives. He was trying to get a son, and if they didn't give him a son, he'd kill her. Or he'd divorce her. And so, um, you know, there was this guy, Hugh Latimer, that would preach against him. And so one day, King Henry is in, in, in church service, and, uh, and he was offended by the message. He was greatly offended. And so after the service, he called Hugh Latimer to him, and he said, next week I want you to apologize for the message you gave today. And Hugh Latimer didn't say yay or nay, but next week, it was interesting what he did. You know what he did? He preached the same message. <laughs> but he did it, history tells us, with even more passion. He gave that king, Henry VIII, he gave him a Bible, and in the Bible he put a napkin in there, and in the napkin he wrote Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, where the Bible says, the marriage bed is undefiled, but adulterers and fornicators, God will judge. And what you find is this guy eventually, I bet you know what happened to him, they burned him at the stake. Why? Because he was bold. Just like John. John was bound, John was bold, and then we know eventually that John was beheaded. And before we close, real quick, I want to just touch on the figures that we've seen here, because I think there's a lot to learn from all the different people here. From John, uh, the daughter, history tells us her name was Salome, uh, the mom, Herodias, and then Herod himself. Salome, okay, can you visualize this young girl? More than likely, she was gorgeous, more than likely, very, very pretty. So can you visualize her going into that setting, this party, the king, the drinks, the you know, drunkenness that's there, and she just dancing erotically, sexually? And, and you look at her, and, and what, what do you think? You know, what do you think? You know, when I think of her, uh, it's interesting. This was not the conduct of most nobles. The daughter of a king would never stoop to do such a thing. But look at her parents. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that this young lady was dying inside. To be honest with you, I don't judge her. My heart goes out to her and all the beautiful young ladies who don't know the inherent dignity they possess, who don't know that there is no need to be sensual or erotic in, or in any way give in to the pull of the world to dance their dance. Young ladies, be pure and know who you are. You are the daughters of God. See, we need to learn that lesson from Salome, this daughter. We need to learn this lesson from Herodias. Uh, you know what? She was a very bitter woman, right? I mean, she was very bitter. She, if you looked on the inside, you'd probably vomit. I mean, she was rotten to the core, right? I mean, willing to leave her husband in the blink of an eye for a better deal. And then when she gets called to the carpet... She's not open to the truth of God, but is only filled with rage. 
And then she pulls strings and manipulates her daughter and controls her husband. And the heart of that hatred goes on to murder the man of God. Oh, and I don't want to offend anybody here. I love you ladies. Don't misunderstand. Most of you here are really nice and kind and gentle. But every once in a while, ooh, man. <laughs> you, you know, ladies, be a lady. Be careful with that bitterness that can set in. At the end of the day, was it John that was killed? Absolutely not. You you will be the one to suffer. Learn these lessons. Sorry, sister, you got to know, you can't silence the voice of God's Spirit that will be the one pointing your sin and pointing to your Savior. And then there's this guy, Herod, and I don't know about you guys, but when I read this story right here, man, I mean, it just kind of makes me sick. I mean, he steals his brother's wife. And then he throws a party. He gets drunk. I mean, he lusts after his stepdaughter. There's no doubt she was doing some erotic dance. I'm sure she wasn't doing the moonwalk or anything. I mean, it must have been, you know, pretty crazy, right? And then, he, you know, because of the fact that he's drunk, he makes a dumb oath. He doesn't have enough ganas to do what's right when his wife says, hey, I want... John's head, he's afraid of the people, pathetic. He's afraid of his own wife. Men, be men, right? Be men of God. You know, John Trapp said this about Herod and Herodias, that she ruled over him at her pleasure as Jezebel did Ahab. But it never goes well when the hen crows. How many have we known whose heads have been broken with their own rib? And you guys know the wife was made out of the rib, and you know what I'm talking about. You know, as men, don't misunderstand me. You know, we have to lay down our our life for our wife, and we have to, you know, love them as Christ of the church. But men rise up and lead them in the ways of the Lord. Sometimes women have to lead because husbands don't want to. But let me tell you something. You're, you're headed for a train wreck. Husbands, you got to follow the Lord. We have to be strong, loving leaders no matter what. You know, John was a good leader. Herod wasn't. John was bold and bound, and it cost him his life. But I think it also gave him his life. You know, like Hugh Latimer, when he died, they were burning him at the stake. It's interesting. And his last words were this. He said, We shall this day light such a candle that by the grace of God within this nation of England, as I trust, shall never be put out. And I don't know about you, man, but I, there's a really cool verse in the book of Numbers that says, Lord, help me die the death of the righteous. You know, not too long ago, someone really close to me, they showed me how to die. They not only showed me how to live, they showed me how to die. You know, I mean, I think of El Monte, I think of the surrounding areas, I think of You know, Lord, I want to reach him. I want to reach him. Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. Lord, so many people 
that are so heavy on my heart. They're weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Lord Jesus, they need you. And so we try to do what we can while we live, but who knows, maybe it'll be because of your obedience and boldness that you will bear more fruit when you die than when you live. See, we learn how to die. And when that blade came down and they chopped off his head and it rolled right there onto the dirt, John the Baptist then stepped into paradise. Having finished his work, And he heard those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. See, he had finished his work. And what was his work? Point people to Jesus. Very simple. You guys, I pray that that you would know that I want you to know him. I know life has a lot of distractions, but at the end of the day, I pray that you would fix your eyes on Jesus. Not only that, I pray that you would be used by God to help others do the same. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to do miracles. All you have to do is just speak the name of Jesus. You call people. You go down your phone. You know, you just start calling up people, sending out cards. You know, you go out and you watch what God will do.